We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, not a Nets win, but a great effort for the team. Missing a lot of players out there. The Nets fell to the Sixers, 117-123. How are we feeling, Jack? Ben Simmons, God, God, Landry Shaman. He's defense is <laughs> ass. It was kind of funny seeing Ben Simmons talk all that about defense and getting cooked by Kyrie on a regular basis. We'll jump into that and plenty more, but you can always find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, where do you want to start with this one? All the injuries? Or the injury report? I mean, the injury report sort of just left us with a, a slightly sour taste in the mouth. And it's just like, yep, well, the Nets aren't going to win this one. But it was good to see that Kyrie wasn't on it. And he was absolutely sensational. Maybe should have been played down the stretch uh, via uh, AJ Brown. He was asked about. Um, he asked uh, and he said, I thought about it. I didn't want to take the group out that was playing so well. I mean, dude, just replace TLC with Kyrie for like three yeah. minutes. It's not, it's not that deep. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely something because that unit obviously did a really, really good job, got it to within three points, but they just couldn't get over that hump. And like you said, you know, TLC missing threes, having Kyrie Irving out there, a guy who can generate offense maybe better than most of the NBA would have definitely been pretty important. But I kind of understand Steve Nash to an extent like, hey, let, let me reward these guys and give them an opportunity to kind of have this comeback win. That would be extremely impressive. I mean, Nick, if we're looking at the plus minus, TLC plus three, Kyrie Irving minus 13. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, but let's talk about Kyrie because I thought, you know, he was really good in this game in the minutes that he did play. 33 minutes, obviously. Uh, 37 points, 13 of 22 from the field, one of three from three, 10 of 10 from the free throw line, three rebounds, nine assists, two steals, one block, three turnovers, while being guarded by Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel almost the entire game. He was the best player on the fourth tonight, Nick. Like I'm putting it out there, and maybe there's a little a little bit of bias from me, and if that is the case, then so be it. But you know, Joel Embiid was was good. He was dominant in parts, but Kyrie Irving was dominant throughout the entire game, and against not just a, a good defense, but two incredible defenders, or supposedly incredible defenders. But Kyrie Irving, good offense beats good defense. It's as simple as that. And those ten free throws uh, are really really good. But he could have had fifteen in my eyes. Yeah. There, there was a couple of times. Sixers where it just, were really handy with him. 
Yeah, and they and Joel Embiid falls on the floor like he's a, a freaking matchstick. And it's just like, <laughs> my dude, like, please, show a bit of toughness. You're like seven foot one. Kyrie Irving has more toughness in his pinky finger than you do in your entire body, my dude. But in, in all honesty, Nick, to focus on Kyrie Irving and not the stupidity and idiocy of Joel Embiid and the Sixers, just an absolutely masterful performance from him. Like, it, the, the way that... Tybal locked him up so many times and it's just like, man, I don't know how Kai's going to get a shot here. And he just gets like a lefty float out of nowhere. He creates a little bit of space down low. Um, incredible three-level scorer. We know that. Maybe one of the best in the league. You know, we discussed it on the outlet. Is it Kyrie or KD? I think that they are one and two in this league about creating their own shot despite the level of defense because ultimately... That's what's going to matter. Defenses are going to hone in. The Sixers are one of the best defenses in the league, despite all the trash I've just talked about them. <laughs> they were incredible, especially in that first half. Forced the Nets uh, into some tricky actions. Forced Joe Harris off the line a lot. Forced into him into one of his worst games of the season. But Kyrie Irving still puts up a performance like this, Nick. I think it's we're probably not going to necessarily... It might not be the takeaway from this game. It might be, you know, Alizé Johnson and, and Bruce Brown and, and that bench unit sort of having uh, a, a bit of fun uh, down the stretch. But do not lose sight of the fact that in 33 minutes, Kyrie Irving cooked the Sixers. And when you add in... Two guys who aren't too bad at basketball in James Harden and Kevin Durant. Can you imagine how the Sixers' defense is going to contain that? And Matisse Dybal and Ben Simmons, one-way players as well, Nick. Um, it's going to make for some pretty hard defensive play uh, for the Sixers uh, going forward if we do meet them in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think also the fact is the Sixers were able to kind of shrink the floor. You know what I mean? You're not losing sleep over a Jeff Green three, and obviously DeAndre is not providing you a ton of spacing. So you're talking about a lot of contested shots from Kyrie Irving, Jack, and 59% from the field with those defenders is really incredible, and now he's going to probably be a third option if this were to be a playoff series. You feel pretty confident about that and what Kyrie Irving could do against the likes of, you know, I don't know, a Shake Milton, a, a, a Korkmaz, or a Tobias Harris, or even any of the, the elite defenders on that team. And honestly, Kyrie had his own when he had uh, Joel Embiid and drop coverage. I think there was maybe one time where he caught him, but in my opinion, that was probably a foul. He did have, I think, have a block on him as well. But Kyrie really worked that defense with limited space. So like you said, Jack, kind of one of the games that'll get slipped under the rug because it was a loss and the other stars didn't play and no one's really going to talk about it. But it was a really, really good performance from Kyrie. 37 points in 33 minutes on 59% from the field. First game back, the the dude just, he's a, the, the consummate professional. Absolute baller, that absolute superstar. And one thing I will say, you know, nice little point about the drop coverage there, Nick. That suits Kevin Durant pretty goddamn well yep. as well. You know, these guys will take mid-range jumpers if you give it to them. If it is an open shot, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to hit it. We saw it from Kyrie tonight. KD's hit at 70 points in 70 goddamn minutes. Yep. You give them any semblance of space, you play drop coverage on them, uh, they are going to punish you. Yeah, specifically KD too, like you said, Jack, because he doesn't need space and they're going to give it to him in that situation because instead of, you know, I don't even know who they're going to really defend KD with. I mean, I would assume maybe Ben Simmons, but then you think Ben Simmons is going to be on James Harden. Can you really play Matisse Thibel a ton of minutes in a playoff series when he's providing no offense? So it kind of makes you think that maybe we're going to see a decent chunk of Tobias Harris on Kevin Durant and KD is going to be able to kind of create space off the screen. He's already taller than Tobias Harris, who's not a bad defender, but he's not to the same level of a Ben Simmons or a Thibel. So it's really going to be an interesting matchup. And obviously that's something we're looking for down the future. It's not a guarantee, but it looks like a real possibility. Maybe we'll touch on more of that at the end.
Yeah, I mean, Sixers fans, Shane and KD sucks. I mean, do you do you really want to give Kevin Durant any extra ammunition of like to go, all right, I've got this in my back pocket as well because we know all the great superstars in the league like to take a little bit of slight, whether it's from someone on social media. Freaking LeBron James invented the Wash King himself. <laughs> Michael Jordan made up phony, you know, matchup, um, you know, uh, controversy between yep. guys. Now Kevin Durant has this in his back pocket. He's got the national media against him and, and the Nets. Uh, he's going to drop 50 Simmons on talking that. shit earlier this week. He is going to drop 80 on their asses. He's going to he's yeah. going to do Will Chamberlain 100. We're going to have to replace the, the Will Chamberlain meme with Kevin Durant. Now, in all honesty, though, Nick, I do like this. I, I think this is a rivalry that um, it, it brings out the best in both teams. It's good for basketball. Gets the eyes on the screen. Gets us all fired up. And, you know, it's all in good fun. But uh, we'll get him next time. We'll get him next time. Yeah, and uh, like you said, Jack, you saw Katie talking trash with Joel Embiid. I think Danny Green, probably a little Ben Simmons in there. So, like you said, it kind of adds actually a little juice to uh, the play, the potential playoff series, or even just matchups down the line in the future. But who do you want to talk about next? DeAndre Jordan, I thought played pretty well tonight. Definitely, DJ was incredible. Eleven boards in the first quarter. I think that's the most since like two thousand and one yep. or something like that. Um, absolutely incredible performance from him. His first quarter was the reason why the Nets were around that mark. You know, forcing Joel Embiid into some tough jumpers. You know, the only real issues I had with him was that he wasn't closing out quick enough on some of those threes. Uh, even then, he was. You know, he was when he did start to at least semi-contest them, he looked a lot better. But I thought that you can, despite Jill Embiid having the night that he did, he shot less than 50% from the field and for a center, and he didn't doesn't get those 11 free throws, including that Euro, which he just basically fell on his fat ass. Where it's just a like away with a lot of travels, too. His footwork is not super crispy all the time. You know, he, he thinks he's Hakeem, but, you know, Hakeem <laughs> is the dream. You're the nightmare, my dude. Like, please. <laughs> okay, Jack dropping bars on the bus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people are probably going to be angry or happy with this version of me, but, you know, this is what the <laughs> dude they're bringing out of me. But, yeah, for, for now, no, Jordan, Nick, to go back to him, 6 or 7 from the field, 14 boards, 12 points, 5 assists, did have a block. I thought that – I mentioned this on previous pods. I said DJ's going to have a role. And we saw it tonight. And it's a full credit to him to be able to go in and just impact straight away. Remain engaged on both ends of the floor. Liked his chemistry with Kyrie Irving. Liked him rebounding the ball really hard. And you're focusing on just getting the extra possessions here and there. Screening. You know, doing all these things that we need him to do. And those five assists as well. He was an important part of the offense when the Nets were humming uh, on the offensive side of the floor. So... He was by far the, the second best uh, Brooklyn net on the floor, and he made Joel Embiid. He made his night tough, and you could tell he was frustrated at times. And, you know, there were possessions where he got the switch on Jeff Green. I would just want them to fight a little bit more. And when they got the doubles on, on Joel Embiid at any sort of point in the game, he still struggled, you know, despite the fact he's improved in that facet of the game. The Nets, I don't think, did it enough, especially in the first half or in, in possessions where it's just like Jeff Green's isolated. Let's get another body down low on him because who's really going to kick it out to? You know, they aren't really... Seth Coe didn't have that great of a game. Ben Simmons isn't really going to shoot anything unless it's like two feet away. And even then he's going to brick it. So in, in all honesty, Nick, I think that the Nets at points let Joel Embiid out with it. They gave him an out at times. But John O'Jordan, when he was isolated onto him, I thought did a really, really credible job. 
Yeah, I think especially for the expectation in which we have for DeAndre Jordan, where he's at in this point in his career, the season Joel Embiid's having the player that he is, really good job from DeAndre Jordan. I mean, he frustrated him at points, made him earn it, shot, shots that you kind of want to see Joel Embiid take. You know, obviously, I think he started getting him a little bit more in foul trouble in that second and third quarter, which obviously was a factor. Some of that's Joel Embiid flopping a little bit. Some of that's just him being a really, really good player. But like you said, Jack, when they threw the doubles at him with two bigs, or at least, you know, a forward in a center, be it Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan, Alize Johnson or Nick Claxton. Alize and- clapped him, Nick. He yeah. clapped him, AJ. He's earning that new money. Yeah, he, he played with some juice. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. But like you said, Jack, that double team, and I just think about it when it's the likes of a Kevin Durant in a center coming at you with all that length or the possibility of, you know, a Claxton, Jeff Green, um, Kevin Durant lineup. You have a lot of different length out there. And like you said, you can help off of Ben Simmons. You just have to make sure you have that rotation underneath the rim and not allowing him to get some of those easy layups in which the Nets did in this game. But I think there are some blueprints you can take away from this one because the Sixers, for the most part, were fully healthy. You know, obviously, I think George Hill is the only player that really didn't play for them. So we saw probably Dwight similar Howard. sets. Oh, who else didn't play, Jack? Dwight Howard. Oh, do, yeah, Dwight Howard. I don't really care about him. But uh, George Hill. I, 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 I love the shade, Nick. I got the light on in here. I might have to dim it down a little bit. There's no doubt about that. I love the shade. I think George Hill would have a bigger impact in a playoff series. But um, that's that's for another day. I'm really intrigued to see what the Nets do and how LaMarcus Aldridge maybe would play against DeAndre Jordan, too, and what that look is. Because you mentioned the double teams. And what they did in the fourth quarter that was very interesting is they had Alizé Johnson defend Joel Embiid and then had Nick Claxton on Ben Simmons and just constantly send that double team, which I thought was really interesting and a nice little wrinkle from Steve Nash getting creative. And that kind of sparked the run for the Nets. It was clever. It was good coaching. And it was just quality from from AJ and, and from Clax, you know, to just show that smarts, show the timing in the switches, show the timing in the doubles. Alizé Johnson got a couple of steals, couple of turnovers here or there, really sparked the run. I thought that, you know, he was in, in the final period, probably the Nets' best player. Should have um, played and, more in this game. He definitely should have. When you had TLC out there at points giving you absolutely nothing, I thought, you know, Alizé Johnson had like maybe one or two mistakes, but, you know, TLC, he, he isn't giving you anything on the floor right now. And I'm not going to shit on him as much as the rest of that sort of does, but he gave us nothing tonight. And Alizé Johnson gave us a heap in only, you know, limited minutes for him. So he was absolutely awesome. And, you know, it's almost a, a little bit of a blueprint. You know, the Nets cut the, as the fourth quarter was going, Nick, we're like, okay, Kyrie's out, 33 minutes. The Nets are down by like 20 or something. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a blowout now. And then the Nets start to trim the lead. Gets down to 12 or something. And it's just like, okay. And then they send back in their starters. And I'm like, that's a win in itself for the Brooklyn yep. Nets. And then the, the lead keeps getting smaller. Keeps getting smaller. Alizé Johnson gets offensive boards. Clax is making screens. Landry Shamit's cooking Ben Simmons off the dribble. It was just awesome to see. Um, and it's sort of just like a mini blueprint of how you can sort of attack the Philadelphia 76ers. Are they weak mentally into an extent? Doc Rivers knows how to blow 3-1 leads better than any other coach in the history of this goddamn sport. You know, Joel Embiid loves to have a bit of a cry after a loss as well. So <laughs> thankfully they won this matchup. But in all honesty, Nick, this is a really gritty performance. I'm a, I'm a bit peeved that we didn't see Kyrie Irving out there at least for a couple more minutes. Not necessarily sure. Um, if that was his decision or the training staff decision or Steve Nash's decision, because you replace TLC with Kyrie Irving, it's this result could have been a W. 
Yeah, I mean, even putting Joe Harris maybe out there a little bit too instead of, you know, TLC, just because, and like you said, we're not going to sit here and just destroy TLC. He's having a rough stretch, and obviously he's in his head a little bit with that three-point shot because the three-point shot is just off so much from different angles at different points, so he's just not really feeling it right now. But that's where it's like Steve Nash, you know, maybe go to Alizé a little earlier in this game because he just provides some of that little energy spark, and I think defensively he gives you a little bit more physicality than TLC as well. Oh, his physicality, Nick, is a really good word to describe him. What other small forward can guard Joel Embiid with the, the presence that Alizé Johnson Almost did tonight? Almost knocked his tooth out. I mean, the, the dude is strong, man. And, you know, it was, uh, to, to quote, give him a quote from him, A.J. Brown again with a, another really um, nice quote from him. He said, I, I, this is from Alizé Johnson. I love when people believe in me. Netswell believes in you, Alizé Johnson. We're, l- we're lucky to have you on this team on a three-year, $4.1 million deal. Another little steal from Sean Marks. Get him into the rotation. You know, you need these sort of guys to provide you sparks every now and then. You know, th- I think this can be a boost heading into the Charlotte game as well. And I think it's just sort of like every time Alizé Johnson is out, has been out there and playing Brooklyn Nets basketball, Nick, there are a few mistakes that he makes. There are a few times where it's just like, damn, why is Alexander Johnson out there? He's not giving us enough energy. Why isn't he hustling a little bit more? Why isn't he doing the little things that'll get him those minutes? He's doing all those things and more, Nick. So I think he deserves some some genuine rotation minutes because especially tonight when the Nets did lack some wing rotation, you know, it was Jeff Green essentially at that sort of small forward, power forward position. When Alizé Johnson was out there and Tobias Harris was cooking Joe Harris and you put in Alizé Johnson, there were moments where he at least makes things tougher for you. He's a more solid body, a more sound physical defender in my eyes. Yeah, obviously has a little athletic pop to him too. You know, contest those shots, just plays with that supercharged energy. So it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. But like you said, Jack, I would have liked to see him out there instead of maybe some of those four-guard lineups that we saw when the Nets were just kind of getting out outmatched by Tobias Harris, who's a good player, but the Nets made him look a lot better than he probably is tonight. Just when you're shooting over somebody that's three inches shorter than you, it's not as difficult as Kevin Durant. But yeah. um, moving on, <laughs> moving on from uh, Alizé. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, uh, who do you want to talk about? Landry Shamit, I thought was pretty good in this one, too. Showcased a little bit more of those uh, point guard duties. Yeah, his handle looked great. Um, he, he looked super-duper tight. You know, he was forced to sort of be more of a, a facilitator with the second unit. And while the three ball wasn't there, he got to the line nine times, had 17 points, 
three assists, did have a board as well, four or ten from the field, eight or nine from the free throw line, and one of five from three. I thought it was a really nice game. And, you know, he got into the starters because of all the injuries and such. Um, I thought it was a really nice, solid game from Landry Shaman, a, a semi-revenge game of sorts, but, you know, showcasing off the skills beyond uh, the three-point shooting, which is something that we like to say about Joe Harris a lot, but tonight is uh, it was Landry Shamit's turn. Yeah, crossover is looking pretty tight for him. You know, that's something that's really popped out. I think he hit Korkmaz with like a couple little combo there, got to the rim. Scoop layup is definitely something he likes to lean on, and it works because he's kind of like slender, and he kind of almost like sneaks in there and gets a step on the defender and lays it in. So like you said, Jack, I think this is also something that's nice to see him develop moving forward as just like another option on the bench in certain situations. And I think coming off screens maybe for mid-range shots is something that he can do maybe a little bit too. Yeah, I think that, you know, from the absence breeds opportunity. And this was an opportunity for Landry Shaman to play 36 minutes tonight, leading the team in that regard as well. You know, he was a big part of the run too. Essentially, when Kyrie Irving was out, that wasn't out on the floor. It was Landry Shamit playing a semi sort of like Tyler Johnson, James Harden sort of role. Yeah. Basically, our floor general. Bruce, Bruce Brown did a little bit as well. And, and credit where credit's due, I thought Bruce gave us a lot of energy uh, in that closing period too. But Landry Shaman had a really nice night. And uh, this was positive to see from him because you know I've said this a lot and it sort of echoes the sentiments of Bob Myers that you you want basketballers out there you don't want narrow-minded one-way players (laughs) 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 Um, sorry to just besmirch my Australian brethren but I I had to do it to him because ultimately right now the Philadelphia 76 players are not Australian boomers at the Olympics right now so yeah in all honesty Nick the proof that we're the opportunities that these guys are being given to showcase showcase their skills a little bit more and they're given the confidence by Steve Nash to do so. Um, I think these are good things for the Brooklyn Nets and overall. Yeah, and I think it's also something to consider like moving forward. Landry Shamit is pretty young. It's a nice piece kind of the Nets team can carry as you know some of the guys get older or just a, a nice piece to have on this roster. Moving on to Jeff Green. Another solid game for him, you know, 15 points, seven of fourteen from the field, one of five from three, four rebounds, one assist. The Nets pretty much asked him to defend everybody on the floor at different points tonight. So Jeff Green continuing to earn that contract and more. Yeah, uh, and it was good to see him only play 28 minutes tonight. Nick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that Uncle Jeff needed a, a slight rest. You know, I'm sure that his his girls will be giving him a nice hug at home and maybe one of the cutest videos I've ever freaking seen um, mm. on net. Without seeing them, sort of that those wholesome vibes, seeing their daddy play, and you know he was he was great again tonight, super solid. What we want out of our our Uncle Jeff, and we expect nothing less from him. You know, productivity on the offensive end and the defensive end. The only times that he looked you know lackluster was when Joel Embiid, who's got about what 80 pounds on him and eight inches, um, yep. and ultimately he's going to bully everyone from Jeff Green to everyone else on the roster, unless your name's Alize Johnson, Nick Alize. <laughs> Alizé's the, the kryptonite to Joel Embiid. But no, even DeAndre Jordan uh, did a pretty good job with him, but he was still moved a couple times. So it's just like Joel Embiid, just one of those guys that's super dominant. But like you said, you know, Jeff Green, smart player, did a solid job on Ben Simmons in this one. It's going to be interesting to see what type of role he plays in a playoff series against a team like this, or even what type of role he plays when all the Nets are healthy. Yeah, and, and I think that, look, Jeff Green has the ultimate versatility for the Brooklyn Nets. And you're adding yep. Kevin Durant, you know, it, it allows him to be even more of a role player. It lessens the responsibility for him on both ends of the floor because you have Kevin Durant, a, a great defender, and Kevin Durant, you know, one of the best offensive players we've ever seen. Uh, it just makes the game so much easier for Jeff Green, uh, as it does for everyone else on this roster. So, look, there was there was just another steady, steady game from old Uncle Jeff. Yep. What did you think of Nick Claxton tonight? 
I thought it was good in parts, but I think he got found out a little bit tonight, Nick. I think that this matchup, you know, ultimately, you know, we need to remain objectivity and, and Clack City, while still absolutely booming um, with its economy and, and all other resources, you know, a bit of a down night tonight. You know, the, the, the stocks went slightly down for Nicholas Claxton, but again, a matchup that wasn't necessarily suited to him. And in the closing periods of the game, he still looked okay when he switched on to players. The only time where Furkan Korkmaz somehow got him off the dribble, um, which was a, a nice play by him, credit where credit is due. But the physicality He's is a little slight. overzealous, just to talk specifically about that play, Jack, before we lose it. It's like in those situations, Claxton just has to stand up straight. He tried to get the block there where it's like, yo, you did all the work. You forced this guy to an uncomfortable position. And instead, he gives him like the step back fadeaway, which just isn't an easy shot. But it's like, you know, this is a growing point for Clax. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, but yeah, I think that it was the, the physicality and, and size of the of the sixes isn't necessarily a great matchup for Clax. But as a backup center, you know, if he's going yeah. up against whoever it is coming off the bench, Mike Scott or, or, or whoever the, the heck else it might be, I still think Clax can provide some value. And, you know, whether it's on the perimeter more so than, than down low um, in the block. So it wasn't a great night for him, but, you know, he still did give us energy um, in the closing period where the Nets did make a, a really impactful run. Yeah, spot on, Jack. You know, like throughout the game, it wasn't necessarily ideal for him, but he still had those moments of property like, damn, this kid is good. That energy burst, like you said, in the fourth quarter. And it's almost like Clax is better in a series like this as a power forward rather a center. And I think you can get away with that in certain matchups, even you know, even playing next to LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't even think we've seen that combination yet. Or even playing next to Blake Griffin, who I don't think is going to do a great job against Joel Embiid. But it kind of allows Clax to just be that like defensive weapon instead of having to worry about kind of protecting the rim. And against a Philadelphia team, it's sometimes important to have that option. You know what I mean? Especially with some of the big players and the physicality they have. So a nice learning experience for him. And it'll be interesting to see how he kind of fits in different lineups. And especially when Kevin Durant is, you know, fully back in the groove and playing, you know, large minutes. Yeah, there's still going to be chances, big chances for, for Clax to still make a big impact on this Brooklyn Nets team on, on both ends of the floor. And, you know, when the, as the Nets continue to get healthier, hopefully we see KD back against Charlotte and, and James Harden's hamstring continues to improve. And, you know, Clax is only going to improve because he looks so much better when he's out there next to the superstars as well because superstars yep. make everyone else look better. But Claxton especially, um, he looks great um, when he's playing alongside James Harden and, and KD and the rest. Yeah, 100%. I think just kind of having that, like, comfortability out there where he just doesn't have to do too much is really just some of the little things but uh your boy joe harris like we kind of mentioned not necessarily his best game has struggled against philadelphia a little bit in the past they do just play him well and push him off that three-point line yeah they overplay him and they just seriously you know make it tough for him i was having some interactions with a few people on twitter about the fact that you know joe needs to move a little bit more i just think that part he of like it is moves just... more than like anybody else in the nets and it's not I even was... close i'm pretty sure no, I, I and look, I don't think it's about Joe's movement. I just think that it's when he has to be the second best offensive player out there, you know, I think there needs to be better movement from other players. You know, Landry Shaman, I thought, looked good and, and, and was moving quite a bit as well. I think ultimately when you have Kyrie Irving leading the game and despite the nine assists, he can, he isn't a natural sort of facilitator to get that ball sort of moving. Uh, again, nine assists from him tonight and he's continued to lead, uh, lead the game well. But you replace, say, hypothetically, James Harden is out there and you have James Harden and Joe Harris. We know their chemistry. We know James Harden's ability to find the open spaces and to really move the ball well and, and get it fizzing and find the open spaces. But Joe still made some some nice drives and, and, and attacked well. Uh, but the Sixers are just a, a really good and hard defensive matchup for him. And you add in KD into the starting lineup, you add in James Harden to this starting lineup, Joe Harris is going to get a couple open threes, I think, Nick. 
Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. First off, Philadelphia deserves credit. They also give Joe a lot of respect, and they put good defenders on him. You know what I mean? You're going to see Danny Green on him. You saw Matisse Seibel on him a little bit. Seth Curry's not bad in terms, especially off-ball defense, because that's something he does on the other end of the floor. And then look at it this way. When it's just Kyrie Irving out there, Who's the next biggest threat? Joe Harris. Am I going to come off of Joe Harris? No, I'm not going to come off of Joe Harris. I'm going to come off of Jeff Green. I'm going to come off DeAndre Jordan. And I'm probably going to come off Landry Shaman before I come off Joe Harris. So it's just like we're not going to give Joe Harris open threes. And to an extent, that's positive on most nights. It's just tonight when the Nets are limited in terms of their offensive talent, it's going to stick out a little bit more. So like you said, I'm 0% concerned about Joe Harris. If they want to give Joe Harris this much attention when Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant are out there, please do. Yeah, ultimately, it's it's going to be it's going to be a completely different game. And while it would have been much better for for Joe to have a a, a bounce back performance and, and hit some threes, and that, but ultimately, you need to give credit to the Sixers, who are one of the the top defenses in the league, and will will ultimately make things tough for Joe Harris because you know he he doesn't naturally have the the conventional athleticism. His handle isn't you know Landry Shamit or, or or Kyrie Irving in, at, by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, it was one of his poorer games from the season, but I think it wasn't poor from his lack of effort and his lack of desire. I just thought it was poor just from his productivity. And you just look at the fact that he wasn't able to get hit a three. He wasn't able to really affect the box score overly. Um, and, and again, you know, that I think a lot of that is more the sixes getting giving them credit rather than discrediting Joe Harris. And I think also in certain situations where Joe has to overexert himself defensively, like in a situation where he's guarding Tobias Harris, who's bigger and stronger than him, he's just going to have to spend more energy on that end of the floor and it's going to impact his offense. So I think it's just like Philadelphia being one of those bigger teams and those longer athletic teams. And I think conversely, Nick, when you see the Nets with Kevin Durant and James Harden hopefully back fully fit and firing, and if we do match up against the Sixers again, Tobias Harris is going to have to have that role that Joe Harris did tonight. He's, yep. he's going to have the increased responsibility on defense, on the defensive end of the floor, which will likely affect his his offensive productivity. And he's had a really good season and been a really solid player um, for them and, and under Doc Rivers, he continues to play really, really well. But yeah, a, a bad night from Joe Harris, but I don't necessarily expect it to be two games in a row. Yeah, you know, and obviously he played really, really well against the Timberwolves, so it's like, whatever. This is a game that the Nets were undermanned. We're talking about no Kevin Durant, no James Harden, no LaMarcus Aldridge, no Blake Griffin, no Tyler Johnson, no Chris Chioza. Um, I don't think I forgot anybody. It's just, it's a long list of players out there. And obviously, too, I think the impact of lack of playmaking. You know what I mean? You talked about just having Kyrie Irving. He's more of that scoring guard. And there really wasn't necessarily another playmaker. Landry Shaman did the best he could, but we know he's not a natural point guard. Yeah, and we saw the other night against Minnesota Timberwolves, everyone sort of chipping in with three assists here, five assists there. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, the game becomes a bit easier. And DJ, again, I thought he was really good at sort of stepping up in that department. He loves throwing a, a dime here or there. And I think the other thing that really sort of stood out, Nick, especially in the first half, they sort of were able to clean up a little bit in, in the second half, was the Nets turnovers and the, yeah. the Sixers punishing them off those turnovers. 28 points of the Nets turnovers to the Nets 11 um, from the 76ers. So, you cut that down by six points, then this game is much, much closer. You cut that down to 20 and the Nets freaking win the game. So if the Nets were just a bit more careful or had to hit a couple more threes, um, it's a very, very different result. And statistically, a three-point shooting, again, this is kind of almost reminds me of the Lakers game. You saw the Sixers shoot 46% and you saw the Nets shoot 19%. 
you know, that's just something that's not going to typically happen over the course of, you know, a seven game series, even a two game sample size, still probably pretty unlikely. Maybe the Sixers could hover around this because they did get a lot of good looks, but the Nets definitely aren't shooting 19% unless it's, you know, 20 attempts from TLC. <laughs> yeah, well, 13, that was a little mean. Sorry, taking, TLC. <laughs> he's taking thirteen. He can hit one of them. But uh, but one point that does stick out, you know, the Nets did make up their their lack of three point shooting by really relentlessly attacking the paint. Sixty four yep. points in the paint. You know, we we rarely see that from the Brooklyn Nets, and you know, it wasn't that Kyrie Irving wasn't taking some nice mid ranges here or there, and um, you know, it, it, it was just that the Nets were just really forceful, and you know, the Sixers themselves still had fifty eight too. But we expect that from a team that has. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on it so I thought that the Nets were able to make up for it in other departments and it shows that they aren't uh, a one-minded one-track offensive team it's just that in the half court the Sixers certainly did especially in the first half make it tough for them whereas if the Nets were able to get open off misses and really push the pace a little bit and I think you're able to do that a lot more with James Harden and Kevin Durant um, but tonight they weren't really given those opportunities because the Sixers were were pretty good from all areas of the floor offensively than they shot, you know, nearly 52% from the field, like you said, 46% from three. And um, the the Nets were had to sort of create their own offense, be a bit more hustly, be a bit more aggressive, which isn't part of their natural identity, but it shows that there's different parts of their offensive identity that we don't necessarily see, which is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, they did a good job of making a game of it. You know, obviously, we talked about all the players being out and the Sixers being a really talented team, and you know, maybe the Nets' top competition in the Eastern Conference, and they kept it close and they almost stole one. Definitely. Bruce Brown, Nick. Bruce Brown. Uh, there was a lot of chatter I saw on the timeline about is Bruce Brown going to get played off the floor in this sort of matchup? Is Nick's clashing going to get played off the floor in this sort of matchup? And yeah, maybe, but it wasn't certainly that way tonight. I thought that Bruce you know, had his moments and, you know, he hit a big three, got to the line a lot. His rebounding was and his tenaciousness. You know, he got a steal, got a block, 14 points, four of eight from the field. I thought, you know, early on, it was just like, okay, it is a bit of Bruce. And then we saw Bruce really work his way into the game and really impact um, in, in a really big fashion. I, th- I thought that, you know, he was a big part of the reason why the Nets come back uh, and got so close they did. Yeah, obviously plays a lot of great energy all over the court, you know, rebounding defense. And he was a guy, like you talked about, getting in transition. He loves to run. It feels like you always see Bruce Brown sprinting on the fast break, and that's just something that gives you a little bit of a spark. So, you know, not not a bad game from Bruce at all, like you said, Jack. And talking about the playoff rotation, yeah, he definitely could get played out of the rotation, but it's not because he's a bad player, just because the Nets have a lot of really, really good guards. Like, you're playing Kyrie Irving and James Harden majority of the point guard and shooting guard minutes, and Joe Harris has to get a large chunk of minutes there as well. You're probably trying to find room for Landry Shamit. I think Bruce Brown and Shamit are competing, and I think it might be more matchup dependent. If you need a defender to come in there and kind of toughen somebody up or just kind of slow them down, Bruce is going to be your guy. I think it's there's still a lot of unknowns about this team because we haven't seen them fully healthy, and we don't know what it's going to look like clicking on all, all cylinders. Yeah, and Bruce Brown plays almost like a front court player in a lot yeah. of respects in, in his best moments, you know, alongside James Harden as a, as a screener, as a roller in, in the short role, in the pick and roll. So the, and now the Nets have a, a bit of depth in their uh, big man rotation, you know, how does he continue to get out there, you know, alongside DeAndre Jordan? I thought there was finally, you know, some decent moments. You know, we saw him uh, make a nice down low pass to him at DJ, yep. got the nice floater in there. One of the few moments I've seen them out there in tandem working well together. But, you know, DJ did go off and Bruce Brown 
Garland had much more of an effect and DJ had more of an effect when Bruce Brown was off the court too. So uh, I think Steve Nash does recognize that um, and, he, and he's playing it uh, the right way, throwing the right lineups out there. But yeah, Bruce Brown, Landry Shamit, you know, you've got some some different options there. And, you know, I think that a lot of other teams would, would really like to have a, a couple of those options that the Nets do have. And you're throwing a Tyler Johnson into that um, rotation yep. too, hopefully, Nick, and hopefully he's fit and firing his knee isn't uh, too bad uh, coming back from injury. Then, you know, it, it's a lot of different options to have. And I think that, you know, Steve Nash uh, is going to have some question, question marks uh, around him and around the rotation, but they are good questions to have. Yeah, you have options where other teams are like, do I have good uh, eight good players to have for a playoff rotation or nine good players where the Nets have the options to throw different guys out for whatever matchup they needed? Jack, in your eyes, I know this is a random question, but how many players do you think will be in the Nets' normal playoff rotation? I'd say eight. Uh, I, I yeah. think that would be max because um, I think that Steve Nash will likely take a, a Mike D'Antoni approach to things, really give, you know, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant 50 minutes, or obviously not 50 minutes, but like 40 plus minutes uh, on, on a night by night basis. And, you know, I think that in, sparingly, you know, you get a Landry Shammy, you get a Tyler Johnson. I think we can probably solidify, we know what probably five of the rotation dudes are. It was, you know, Jeff Green, it's Joe Harris, it's Kai, it's, and it's a scary hour's big three. And then outside of that, who's your big man going to be? Is it DJ? Is it Lamarcus Aldridge? I chatted this to the uh, BK to UK um, Nets, Nets dudes um, in an episode that's going to be dropping soon about just the rotation in general, really run in depth on it. Um, but yeah, I think they're having, again, options in that front court now with DeAndre Jordan showing that the fact that, you know, he can impact against the Bucks and against the Sixers. And it's just like, Lamarcus, sorry, my dude, you know, you're not guarding, you know, the Charlotte Hornets or whoever the hell else it is. Um, you're not going to get these easy offensive looks and your defense just ain't cutting it, my guy. Um, you're not going to be out there. Blake Griffin, unfortunately, we, we have better forward options um, and, and unless you're out there with clacks or whatever, there, there's no point um, and you're hitting that three ball, um, then maybe they go out all that offense. But I, I think that we just see whatever is rolling on that night, Nick, and, and probably the team... Uh, Steve Nash sort of go with that rotation. He might try out some things, and I think that that's what he should use the first round in the playoffs to do if they get a decent enough matchup where it's not like you know, the Celtics or the Heat, they drop down to the 8th or, or the 7th seed, um, and, and they're able to sort of experiment a little bit. Um, hopefully we get, you know, five games or so to experiment with the, the full rotation at hand. I'm not necessarily totally confident with that, especially with the way that this season has been going. Um, but ultimately, the Nets are in at least somewhat better shape uh, than a few other teams uh, that are contending. Yeah, obviously, it's about getting healthy for the playoffs, and hopefully they can get some games in. If not, like you said, Jack, you know, a first-round series, kind of test out some things. It's going to be interesting because, like, part of me thinks, like, could we see Steve Nash be like, hey, DeAndre Jordan, you're playing the series, LaMarcus Aldridge, you're not playing the series type of thing because there are certain matchups, like you said, where, you know, one guy's better than the other. And I think hopefully this game kind of creates a little bit more competition between the two. You know, obviously LaMarcus is a more skilled player, can provide you different things, but he has to play at a higher level. And DeAndre provides a little bit different and he can give you that lob threat. We saw him get up pretty well tonight. I think as a rebounder, he was really good tonight, but it's about doing it consistently. And neither guy has really proven at this point in their careers that they can do it consistently. They could when they're in their primes, but right now it's a little bit different story. So that's kind of a battle to monitor the rest of the season. Definitely. There's some good quotes uh, from Bruce Brown, uh, the dude we've just been talking about via Matt Brooks and AJ Brown here, Nick. And, you know, he, uh, he was asked about, you know, their confidence and his confidence heading into a series, possible series with the Sixers. <laughs> Bruce with uh, not lacking the confidence, saying that he's super confident. And he also said to, to Matt Brooks and, and the other Nets media, 
that the next point for him in terms of this season in impacting is shooting the three balls, saying that he needs to shoot without thinking and with confidence. And look, he hit one tonight. Um, and I think that he's done that generally well, not necessarily at a, 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 a super confident basis. But if he's got, you know, we've got 17 games left in this regular season. If that can be a point of emphasis for him, take three or four or one or two per night and, you know, he's shooting it, you know, without thinking like a Joe Harris or a Landry Shamit does, doesn't necessarily have to go in, but at least he's getting those reps up, getting the feel for, for how it feels uh, from from that length of the floor. I think that's going to be a good thing. And, you know, it could certainly uh, elevate himself in sort of getting some rotation minutes. Yeah, 100%, Jack. I think that would be the next step for his game to making him an incredible role player. Good self-awareness from him, though. Really good self-awareness. I love self-awareness from players. Obviously, you know that. But uh, it's just something that I think can take you at the next step as a player. You know what I mean? If you understand where I need to be better or where I fit in the NBA, Spencer Dinwiddie's a guy that I think has great self-awareness as well. Bruce Brown kind of buying into that role too. And like you said, if he cannot hesitate on the three-point shot and he can get some type of consistency, he doesn't have to be a great three-point shooter. He really just has to be a 35% guy. You know what I mean? Just something league average where you can get the respect to the defense and they're at least giving Kyrie, Katie, and Harden a little bit of spacing because if he can do that, he provides the Nets with a quality defender. Yeah, just make sure he's out on the corner that's in front of either the opposing bench or the or the home bench because he's. I would love to see like he just loves to talk whether it's getting hyped up or it's getting uh, a bit of shit talk going. Um, uh, I love Bruce. Um, we all love Bruce and uh, this Nets team. Yeah, they gave us a lot of energy and this is. I mean, it's going to be a memorable game, Nick. I think just yep. from the point of, of that last quarter. And while we're discussing a loss, ultimately in the grand scheme of things, there is a, a much bigger picture to take away from this. If the Nets lose the one seed, you know, will they regret not playing Kevin Durant? Stephen A. Smith probably isn't happy about it. I, I know that. Um, but again, I'm not necessarily going to reference more talking head clowns on this podcast. I've had enough time talking about them and Shannon Sharp on the last episode, but. Yeah, I think that the Nets are in a good spot to, to still get that number one seed, Nick. You know, if James Harden's back at a at a point in time, you know, he loves winning regular season matchups. Um, and, and Kevin Durant, when he's out there, the Nets are, are an incredible basketball team too. So I think that the Nets are still in. It's going to be a, a nice little storyline heading down into the final 15, 16, 17 games of this season. Yeah, I think what the Nets have 17 games to be two games better than the Sixers. That's essentially yep. what they have to be because Philly now has the tiebreaker. I think the one thing that gives me maybe a touch of concern for landing the one seed, I don't think it really truly matters, but the Nets have a lot of back-to-backs, and they've just been so conservative over the course of the season where it just feels like they're going to probably rest a decent amount of guys on those back-to-backs. But it might not matter if James Harden is back to being healthy because we've seen him carry the team to dubs on a regular basis. And if you have two of the three big three, you're probably in pretty good shape to win almost against any team in the league. The Nets have been had an incredible regular season, Nick. Yep. We've been very fortunate to uh, do this on a game-by-game basis. I've been lucky enough to recap them right afterwards, right after these games, unfortunately. I'll be heading back to work sooner rather than later. It means you know, you'll be getting some, some great guest co-hosts and I'll be jumping on as much as I possibly can. But... You know, this journey, again, I'm, I'm going to keep preaching it, Nick, that, you know, again, I'm enjoying tonight for Alice. Hey, Johnson, I'm enjoying it for um, for the the KD shit talk. I'm enjoying it for, for all these little things because, you know, we don't want to lose sight of the big picture. And I, I know the Nets certainly haven't lost that, but, you know, I'm going to enjoy the game-by-game matchups. I'm going to enjoy the shit talk, po- throwing, posting a couple of memes here or there. And I'm really going to enjoy the fact <laughs> you that you're... post memes? 
Uh, occasionally. <laughs> I've got a, about 300 notes in my phone that I have to scroll through and feel like, oh, what's Joel Embiid doing here? Which one does this relate to? Um, I've got a couple of favourites. You know, the Joker falling over meme generally does uh, does a couple of likes here or there. Um, but, it, but in all honesty, Nick, you know, I think the big takeaways from this, and, and we probably alluded to, but I think we need to sort of hark back to it sort of to finish with it. Kyrie Irving can't guard that dude. Doesn't matter what your defence is. And DeAndre Jordan deserves to play uh, in meaningful minutes for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I think in the right matchups for, uh, for DeAndre Jordan. Um, and like you said, Kyrie Irving is just one of the best basketball players we'll ever get to watch in terms of just scoring the basketball and the combination he throws out there. And also, like you said, Jack, just enjoying the season. It's going to be a memorable one regardless of the result. It's just, you know, this team constructing it, the amount of stars that are on this team, the amount of hate that this team receives from NBA Twitter, NBA media, whatever it is. It's been a really fun ride so far, and hopefully it ends the way we all want it to end. But, Jack, always a pleasure and big thanks everybody for listening.